0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: You're listening to mlb.com extras, brought to you by mlb.tv. It's baseball everywhere.
2: Hi everybody, thanks for tuning in. I'm Anthony Kastrovitz, and this is our look at the American League Division Series between the Cleveland Indians and and the Boston Red Sox. I am joined by Red Sox reporter Ian Brown, Indians reporter Jordan Bastian. Gentlemen, first of all, thank you for doing this. Uh, welcome, good, to, good welcome to, see to October. You. Yeah, yeah, Good October. Yeah, good to be seen.
0: Beautiful day in Cleveland. Yeah.
2: So, Brownie, I want to start with you. Uh, how big of a deal did you think for the Red Sox, from the Red Sox perspective, the final weekend of the season, losing home field advantage of this series?
0: I don't think it was a big deal at all because, you know, the Red Sox had the best road record in the American League this year. Uh, Only the Cubs had a better record in all baseball on the road, and that was by half a game. So I think this is a good matchup for the Red Sox, first of all, against the Indians, just with the way Cleveland's pitching has been depleted a little bit, the starting pitching. So I think that's why John Farrell kind of prioritized just kind of taking care of guys the last weekend of the season. You know, he took David Ortiz out in the fifth inning of, I think, a tie game on Saturday. So I think that kind of showed Mm -hmm. you where his head was at, where he just wanted to get his team in good shape going, going in.
2: Uh, JB, we'll do this like the vice presidential debate. I'll give you your, your turn to speak <laughs> Point, on that. counterpoint. F- f- from the Indians' perspective, uh, how big was to, to swipe home field advantage from the Red Sox in that last weekend?
1: Well, I mean, Sunday couldn't have gone any better from the Indians' perspective. They needed a very specific uh, set of results to occur for them to get home field and not to have to go to Detroit for Monday uh, for that p- possible makeup game. And everything fell in line perfectly from the Indians' perspective They got home field in the ALDS. They didn't have to go to Detroit. And judging by how loudly everyone was celebrating in that clubhouse at the end of the games on Sunday, you know, it was kind of a a big sense of relief for the Indians. And I think it's important because there's a lot of young players on the Indians roster who are going through the playoffs for the first time. And if your first postseason experience is stepping into Fenway Park, um, that's going to be overwhelming. Um, So I think that was a benefit for some of those guys where, Not only were they not going to have that hectic travel schedule, but they get a couple days off, they get to come home, they get to go through their routines, and then they get to open up in front of their home crowd, and they have the most walk-offs in the American League this year with 11, the best home record this year, and as we've discussed before, their offensive numbers at home compared to on the road are very drastic, drastic to the point where you would think maybe there's a little more to it than, than you would think otherwise, so... Uh, I think it was important just for their mental um, side of getting that rest, getting back home into their routines, and not having to walk into just the, the chaotic
2: atmosphere in the uh, fens. Uh, let's dig into some of the narratives associated with this series. Obviously, this is Big Poppy's final season. Um, Red Sox you know, trying to get him back to the World Series stage. How much has that uh, kind of colored these, these last few weeks? The, the race in the AL East and running away with that, um, it, it's obviously been a big subplot.
0: Yeah, it has been a big subplot, more because of all the ceremonies and yeah. just all, all, all of that. But I think the Red Sox themselves, um, you know, David Ortiz has kind of set the tone where he's just worried about winning another World Series. He's not worried about, hey, this is my last go around. So I think the young guys have kind of taken his lead and they've kind of kept their, their eyes on the prize. Sure, they would like him to go out on top, but they're not, you know, that's not their, their driving force. They, you know, these guys, these young guys have never played in the playoffs. So they're just excited to be here after finishing in last place the last two years.
2: Another big narrative, of course, is Terry Francona going against his former club. Um, He's certainly done everything he can do to downplay that narrative so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, every time he's been asked about his feelings about Boston, he's quick to say, this series is about the players, it's not about him. And as Ian can attest, I mean, that's classic Francona trying to kind of take the spotlight off of him. He has said it's it's kind of bittersweet going up against Farrell, you know, he's really lauded Farrell for the accomplishments, both what he's come back from personally and professionally this year. I think entering into the season, a lot of people thought, you know, he was on the hot seat and going to be gone pretty quickly. Um, So here they are in the postseason, two really good friends off the field, you know, former uh, teammates with the Indians. And, um, you know, I think that's going to be bittersweet because he obviously loves to see Farrell succeed, but this week he's going to be trying to beat him. So... Uh, But, yeah, Tito's done a good job of really saying, you know, from both sides, from Boston's perspective, from Cleveland's perspective, that the series needs to be about the players and not about his return. And, I mean, honestly, it's been so many years now. It's not like he, you know, led them to the World Series two years ago or last year um, or the chicken and beer stuff is fresh on everyone's mind. I mean, that was a long time ago now. A lot of years have passed. And, you know, I think it's to the point where Boston fans give him a pretty warm reception every time we've gone back there to see him there.
2: What are your thoughts on the Red Sox going up against Francona? Obviously, you covered him for a long time.
1: Yeah, and no, I, I think that uh,
0: I echo what Jordan said. And really, aside from Pedroia, Ortiz, and Buckles, I mean, none of these guys even right. played for Francona. And as far as Farrell, it's funny what a disciple he is of... Francona, because he's been saying the same thing, where you know the the focus really needs to be on the players. And but then you know he'll like uh, Francona, he'll get really in depth on the relationship he has with Terry and uh, the respect he has. He called, you know, I asked him the other day if uh, you know where Francona ranked among his friends in baseball, and he said the top, you know the top. And he gave a lot of reasons that you know we don't just share baseball stuff; we've shared health stuff on mm-hmm. both sides, and everyone remembers that Francona was the one who. Uh, went to Farrell's first chemotherapy treatment last year, so uh, these guys are, you know, they have a really unique uh, friendship.
2: Yeah, it's, and this series is just loaded with personal connections. <laughs> yeah. We've been talking about it in the lead-up. It's its kind of ridiculous just how many guys have, have filtered between the two organizations. You know, Mike Napoli, of course. Mike Hazen, in the Red Sox GM got his start in Cleveland, so... Uh, a lot of ties that bind there. But, of course, all that really matters is what happens between the lines. Uh, JB, I'll start with you here. Just uh, Who is an X-factor for – who is the X-factor, in your opinion, for the Indians in this series?
1: Well, that's funny. I wrote an X-factor story well, on Indians.com. Uh, you can read all about it. Now, I, I think Trevor Bauer is very, very important. You know, this is a guy who started in the bullpen on opening day, and they were kind of sending him a message that just because you've trained your whole life to be a starter and believe you're a starter – you know you kind of got to earn it um so they started him in the bullpen um ticked him off there for a little while but you know due to circumstance due to his performance he made his way back to the rotation and has just steadily climbed up that rotation through all the issues that have struck this team the most recent one being ace Corey kluber dealing with a mild quadriceps strain so that's why you see all of a sudden bowers the game one starter in the first postseason game um, since 2013 for this team. So I think he's going to be very important, especially if this extends beyond three games and he's got to come back on short rest, something they're very confident he's physically able to do. Um, he did it earlier this year in a game in Toronto that went 19 innings. He had thrown a very aggressive bullpen the day before, was prepping for a start the following day, and instead on short notice without even knowing he was going to have to, you know, came in and logged 80-plus pitches in five innings, of shutout ball to help them win, in a 19-inning marathon. So I think he's going to be pretty critical. And then just given the rotation's issues, I think the bullpen is going to come up huge. I don't think you'll see any Zach Britton-type situations in this series. I think if Tito feels Andrew Miller is the best option in the fifth inning on, you're going to see him come in, um, and then you'll see him mix and match with the wrestlers guy. They have a crew that can really shorten the game, and that's going to be very important given the state of the rotation right now.
2: Brownie, your move, man. Who's the Red Sox X-Factor?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I call it X-Factors with a
0: parenthesis around the uh, S. Yeah. To me, uh, Clay Buckles and Eduardo Rodriguez, your number three and probably game four starters, mm-hmm. you look at where these guys were at earlier in the season. You know, Rodriguez had like an ADRA in, in uh, late June and was sent down to the minors. Uh, Buckles was taken out of the rotation, I think, three times this year. And both of these guys just came up big for this team in the second half of the season to the point where you're actually kind of confident that they can pitch good games in games three and four. So it's going to be important because, <clears throat> you know, these are, the, these are the guys that are pitching the home games. Mm-hmm. So you need to keep momentum at home. So you need Clay Buckles to keep on that late season role he's been on. You need Eduardo Rodriguez uh, not to get unnerved by pitching in the playoffs for the first time. So I think those guys are, are really important for the Red Sox.
2: Yeah, you know, the three of us were here in Cleveland on opening day, uh, David Price versus Corey Kluber, and I don't think any of us expected at that point that it would be the Game 2 <laughs> yeah. starters, yeah, yeah. Uh, David Price and Corey Kluber. <clears throat> but obviously uh, situations lined up to where, uh, obviously from the Indians' perspective, it was, it was Kluber's uh, health situation with right. the groin and giving him an extra day. Uh, what went into the Red Sox' decision with Porcello over uh, Price for Game 1? Yeah,
0: one? I mean, it's really more Porcello than Price. I mean, Porcello's been uh, you know, one of the top three or four pitchers in the AL all season long here. And he's just been machine-like consistency where, you know, Price had a pretty good second half, but he hasn't had that same consistency as Porcello. He's had off night here and there. And with Price, there's going to be a lot of, you know, a lot magnified in his playoff record going into that starting mm-hmm. game too. We've been hearing about that ever since he signed with the Red Sox. You know, it's kind of risky to sign a guy for $217 million who has, I think, uh, you know, no, no playoff wins and starts. He's won one game in relief. So is, is he a guy that maybe presses a little too much in the postseason? And that's why Game 2, I think, is going to be the most fascinating game
2: of the whole series. Uh, and, and, JB, just a note on Josh Tomlin because he'll be mm-hmm. so – I mean, they got home field advantage, but I guess the the concern there is Josh Tomlin in Fenway Park and, and his <laughs> home run tendency. So a uh, note on Josh Tomlin, how he pitched very well down the stretch.
1: He did. Uh, you know, he actually lost his job. In the rotation at the end of August, he went 0-5 with an 11.48 ERA in August, uh, and was removed. You know, but then all of a sudden you lose Carlos Carrasco, you lose Danny Salazar. Um, you know, they really liked Mike Clevenger, um, their rookie right-hander, more as a, a reliever right now. They feel he's still sort of learning as a starter in the big leagues, but you know they've seen him more effective in shorter starts, spurts. So that again. Last man standing, Josh Tomlin, but to his credit, he kind of got that mental break. Um, he was able to really sit down and figure out what was going on. He got very cutter happy and kind of switched up his arsenal a little bit. You know, it was a little more evenly distributed over the month of September. And I think he had a 169 ERA off the top of my head over the last month. You know, no walks, uh, really looked like the guy he was earlier in the year when he started the year. Nine and one with a with a low three ERA. So obviously um, there's going to be possibly some regression to the mean. But again, as we discussed about the Indians bullpen, if they can get four or five innings out of Josh Tomlin effectively, they have the bullpen to make up the innings. Uh, I think that's what they're looking at right now as they go into that. But um, as you mentioned, very homer prone. I think he gave up the second most home runs uh, in baseball, or maybe at least the American League this year putting him in Fenway is a dicey situation um, for a fly ball guy like that. But, you know, the last month gives them that faith that, you know, he can at least be effective to the point where you bridge that gap to that bullpen.
2: Ronnie, you mentioned uh, Tomlin as as sort of a question mark uh, from the Indian side, from the Red Sox side, uh, just given the way his season. ended, did Craig Kimbrell's a little bit of a question mark right now, uh, had trouble finding the strike zone his last few times out. What's what's the word on him going into this?
0: Yeah, he's had some real mechanical – Lately, so they say he's getting rotational uh, with his with his delivery, and he's worked a lot on that the last few days. Oh, yeah. They say that they're they're fully confident in him going into the playoffs. You know, they think that he's had enough time in between the end of the regular season to the first game of the playoffs that he's going to be able to fix this. I mean, nobody works harder than this guy. Um, so, right. but that is going to be a big focal point until you see him. Close out that first game. So I know Red Sox fans are going to be anxious about it until they see him
2: locked down that first day. So I think that's a big talking point going into the series. All right. Okay, get some predictions out of you men. JB, you go first.
1: Well, you know, the fact that Corey Kluber is in game two, and then if it were to extend to five, is their game five starter, you know, I think that gives them the edge if the series goes the distance. Uh, so I'm going to say Indians in five. Okay.
0: And I'm gonna say Red Sox and Force. I don't have to face court Kluber in campfire. A
2: couple of homers here. All right. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> I want to thank Jordan Bastian and Ian Brown for joining me. Should be an, a fascinating series, the American League Division Series between the Red Sox and Indians. Thank you all for tuning in. This has been MLB.com Extras.